What's up? We are back with the Text Lab. My name is Jake, and I am here again with the one and only David Crawl. What's up, man? How's it going, man? It's going good. We're here. We're here. We're recording. We're, yeah, record has been pressed. Um, so, so David, what are you doing for July 4th, man? Maybe blowing some stuff up? Yeah. Are you blowing anything up, Jake? That's a great question. And we were talking about it a little bit earlier. Uh, I will be blowing some things up. Uh, A few years ago, I went to Zion National Park. It's just a beautiful place to be in God's creation. On July 4th, you went? No. Well, yeah, we drove basically the week before. Okay. And so that's when they're selling all their fireworks Mm. as you drive through Arizona. And my friend and I, I will not name his Different regulations in Arizona, probably. There's very, very... it's all desert and there's not a lot to burn. Whereas in California, there's quite a bit. And so uh, after worshiping my heart out for a few days, I drove home and bought $400 worth of illegal fireworks here in Woo. California. And so for the law enforcement people listening. Or, um, you know, if you know any firefighters I, in your family. Yeah, my dad and my brother. <laughs> um, it's actually kind of a, what is it, taboo? I don't know if that's the right word. You are a pyromaniac if you're mm. in... A family with a firefighter. Yeah. And my dad yeah. actually kind of is too. We love to set yeah. things on fire. He's got yeah. like a Runs mini the family. flamethrower at home. Anyways, so that's going to be July 4th for me. So if you <laughs> see like some, if you Jake, see some say, massive fireworks. We hear a loud boom. It was not be, me. It's not you. For it's legal you. reasons, it was not me. It was not you. But hey, if you want to join me, we can do it. Well, lest you are confused and think this is a podcast about Jake's uh, firework collection, mm-hmm. this is the text lab where every single week we dive into the text to really just help equip and prepare you uh, to live as a disciple, to know what God says to us in his word, and to be a disciple who makes disciples. Our hope is that the text lab would really help you have a meaningful study and reflection and conversation about what God has said to us in his word. This week we are in Genesis 39 uh, Mm -hmm. verses 1 through 20. Jake, we won't read it, but why don't you just give us a little bit of some of the background context of of what is leading us up even to Genesis 39. Yeah, it's so good. It's important to understand that Genesis is a whole book written by Moses, and it's a a, a whole narrative filled in with a bunch of little stories. And Mm. so it's important that this is taking place after Abraham. And so Abraham is kind of the beginning, a little bit of this story where we need to know that Abraham led to Isaac and Isaac led to Jacob. So Abraham gave birth to Isaac and and Isaac to Jacob and his 12 sons. Jacob's other name is Israel that God gives him. And so here we are with his 12 sons. And this is that broad narrative of Genesis. And really what is happening here is there's a rescue plan being enacted. Mm. That is like a key theme that we're going to get to later in the podcast that this is a rescue plan, that this is a redemption plan that God is enacting through a bunch of little things. And what we're actually going to see is he is enacting this rescue plan through the sin of a ton of people, through the mess ups of so many people. And so in chapter 12 of Genesis, we see Abraham come on the scene. In chapter 21, we see Isaac. And then in chapter 25 now, we see Jacob. And 37, which is where we landed last week, we have Jacob and his 12 sons. And then we're going to be jumping into 39 today. Yeah. And I think looking at those relationships, you've really got these four generations, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, and now Joseph. And really 
Over and over here, again, Moses is trying to make a coherent statement with these narratives to really reveal to us the faithfulness of God and truly the sovereignty of God that nothing can stop his purposes, nothing can stop his intentions. So really, as we're in Genesis 39, it really is about Genesis 12, when God right. makes this promise to Abraham, which really is goes back to Genesis 3, where God talks about that he will right. crush Satan's, uh, the, the head of the snake, and that he is going to bring a Messiah to redeem and renew what was lost at the fall. And so you, you're, you're in all these different family narratives, but there's this continual hidden work of God uh, being played out of what he had promised to Abraham being fulfilled, uh, that God will bring them a new land, a promised land, that he will bring them a promised Messiah, that he will bring this, uh, this blessing through Abraham, that Abraham will be a blessing to all nations. Um, and that is what God is doing through. Like he said, oftentimes the sin and the messiness of these family cultures and of their relationships. You've got this unique text break in Genesis 38, oh, yeah, uh, which yeah. talks about Judah and Tamar and really just Judah's sin yeah. that's blatantly displayed. That's really <laughs> meant to contrast Joseph's faithfulness in 39. And again, it's making this same point. Nothing can stop God's plan uh, from being carried out. God is working in the background and behind the scenes to basically undo the effects of the fall and bring us the Messiah. Yeah. And I'd love to even spend some time highlighting what happened with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and some of like their stories, because it is so massive to understanding Joseph's Mm -hmm. maybe being in the pit or Joseph's um, um, things going on there and how, how God redeemed. So what we see is Abraham, uh, kind of the father of the faith. Jews love Abraham. We see that in the new Testament often, but what he messed up is he he gave his wife to other, other men twice, Mm. right? So we've got this big mess up here. We have Isaac, which is Jacob uh, and Esau. He has Jacob and Esau as his kids and Jacob, the father of Joseph, which is the story we're in right now, Jacob deceives his blind father Unbelievable. in order to get his inheritance, yep. which was initially meant for Esau, which I think is just so interesting understanding. Um, maybe putting yourself in the perspective of a Jew reading this narrative mm. and saying, is God going to come through on his promise of making Abraham fruitful? Yeah. Is he going to make his descendants like the stars, more numerous than the stars? Yeah. And you're reading this and you're kind of seeing how is God going to turn this for his glory? Mm -hmm. And over and over and over again in the generations that actually lead to Jesus, we see man, what man intended for evil, God turned for good. Yeah. You see this, this almost generational sin of deceit throughout these family narratives where there's Abraham lying about Sarah, um, Isaac lies about Rebecca and his wives, Mm. like then continuing on from there, Jacob, uh, stealing the birthright line. And then again, even in Jacob's family, again, the brothers deceiving Jacob about Joseph and, and his death and this just almost generational sin of deceit that, that continues to happen. Um, but then again, the story just continues to come back to God's work, even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of that, um, which really, I think points us up to, okay, this is a story that is about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. But more than anything, this is a story about God. This is a story about his work. This is a story about what he is doing and how he is at work in the world through all these different broken pieces. He's doing a bigger work here. He's doing a bigger story there, Um, which you really see when you then get to 39 and individually kind of zoom in to Joseph's life. He's just got out of a pit. He's been bought by Potiphar. Potiphar would have been one of the most powerful people in all of Egypt. He was really um, Pharaoh's right-hand man. It says that uh, Potiphar basically ran his court, which means he ran his household. He would have been in charge probably of security of Pharaoh. And this is kind of 
during the new era of Egypt, um, mm. the new kingdom, which is really kind of the Egypt that you think about when you think about all the pyramids and so all cool. Egypt at the kind of the height of its power. And so like think Indiana Jones, Egypt here. <laughs> this is what the story, the narrative that, that Joseph is in. Egypt is the greatest power in the world. He would have been basically uh, the assistant to the vice president is the way to think about yeah. it in American terms yeah. of uh, he was up there in the leadership and in the power structure having been bought as a slave sold by his brothers now he's in the palace and he's basically running it so much so that like Potiphar's like I, he didn't have anything to worry about but the food he ate in verse 6 it sounds That's like Potiphar's kind of like chilling poolside yeah. and basically uh, Joseph is running the Egyptian empire um, and it talks about how God was with Joseph in this moment and in this time and that God he had favor with God and God was blessing him and because God was blessing Joseph he was blessing the Egyptian household but ultimately this isn't about like Joseph's blessing this is about God blessing Joseph and Egypt doing well too again to carry out God's divine intentions and purposes it wasn't the prosperity gospel for Joseph it it wasn't about even the rise and fall uh, of an empire God was fulfilling his purposes through earthly kingdom powers and so like there's earthly kingdom powers he's fulfilling his kingdom so there's still there's still this kingdom empire kind of dynamic that's going on where it's like god's fulfilling his kingdom even through the earthly kingdom yeah and we see that in the meta narrative as well and that's why i think it's so important to continuously as we're reading these narratives zoom out a little bit yeah we have that tendency even we were talking in teaching here of like be like joseph but Mm. it's like this isn't necessarily a be like joseph text it's a it's a be like jesus text Mm -hmm. it's a see what god is doing text but also there's some things that joseph does that we're like okay we can learn from this we can pull from this so it's like be like joseph but don't be like joseph but also you can a little bit yeah what's so cool that we were talking about is joseph is just an image of jesus coming later drew hit that in his sermon last last week and Mm -hmm. i thought I was like, oh, this is so cool seeing the parallels yeah. of, of Joseph suffering, but God mm. being with him. Yep. And then of Jesus suffering and 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 God still remaining with him and working yep. all things for, for the good yep. of us. Yep, you see glory. a lot of the of kind of a Jesus typology through Joseph's life. First of all, even with I think there's a, some parallels there with Joseph being tempted by Potiphar to how Jesus was tempted in, yeah, in, the, de- in the desert. Yeah. And and yet, no, he goes back to like, no, this is what God has said. He, Joseph is faithful, especially the contrast there where Joseph is faithful, where Jacob and Isaac and Abraham have not, not been faithful. Yeah. And there's, yeah. there's an alignment there where even how Jesus is faithful to God after the Jewish people mm. have not been faithful for hundreds of years. So there's some like similarity there. There's a lot of similarity with the deception and the betrayal that happens to Joseph, where mm. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and Jesus was betrayed by Judas and kind of some alignment there. Yeah. Even some of the, the alignment there where Joseph's, um, a garment was taken away from him. The The garment continues actually to show up in 39 too. Um, emphasized multiple times when when he flees from Potiphar's wife, it emphasizes how she held onto his garment and thinking about the significance of, of Joseph's like robe of many colors, which for us, we're kind of like, wait, what the heck does that mean? Yeah, why, yeah. Is, why is there a robe with many colors? It was meant to be symbolic of Joseph, Joseph's kind of chosen nature. Um, the same with Jesus' robe. It's taken away from him at the cross, taken away from Joseph, if there's an identity stripping down that happens there. Um, right there, if you look kind of in the middle of the text, look at verse 14. Uh, she really emphasizes his Hebrew nature as kind of some shaming of him of like he is a Hebrew 
and they are Egyptians. And so there's really this identity attack on Joseph for his cultural mm. background. And that happens throughout with Christ's narrative as well. Um, and, and so there's a lot of similarities there with, with Christ and really just God's alignment with, the, with, with people who have been falsely accused Christ through his crucifixion, fiction, through uh, a, a false trial that he was not guilty of goes to the cross. Same with Joseph. He's falsely accused, not guilty of this, but it ends with him going back into the prison. And so like Joseph's life here has gone from, he started pretty much in a pit. He goes to the palace, but now he's back into prison. And yeah. it's it, it ends in verse 20 with, there he is, back into the gap yeah. after kind of going on this ride in his life. And now he's back in prison. Yeah. And man, as we, I think as I read this text, I see so much it's so much easier for me sometimes to just zoom away from this text and say like there is just big old themes of humanity and mm. who god is and who we are as mankind in this yeah. text like the sin and the um the depravity in this text mm. relates so deeply to what yep. i see today and like yep. who i am and who i was pre-christ especially mm. um we just see really a Romans arc. Right, like, right, right. Which is totally, so cool because totally. you know, obviously we chose Joseph because it fits so well with that Romans arc. Yeah. Um, but we see the like all have sinned and fallen short and I just see it mm. over and over again. But what we see also is the depth and the grace of, of God's um, mercy. Yeah. His kindness. Yes. And who he is in his redemption character here yep. within this Joseph text. Yep, yep. Which I think really is following the Romans arc and following kind of the like broken humanity of each person, but, but Christ making every single person new and mm. where we've been in Romans five through eight, that the spirit comes, there is this new life that is in Christ. There's this new way of being human that is in Jesus living, walking by the spirit, um, no longer being guilty of your sin. This new identity comes in Romans eight, one of no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you see that being played out in the Joseph script and even the, the, where we're going to keep going with Joseph, this continued kind of redemption narrative and story um that happens but then really does hit right now okay what what do you do when you are just in your gap when you're yeah. back in prison yeah. when you don't see what's coming and you're not sure if you're going to get back out again yeah and just to be thinking about like what what would that have been like even for joseph when he's back in prison i'm sure he was sitting there being like wait really god yeah like this is where my faithfulness got me this is where my obedience to you got me i i thought probably that if i was faithful to you like you keep blessing me which is kind of slips into our thinking i think sometimes right, yeah sometimes we think we like this it. kind of equation of like hey i'm gonna be good to god and faithful and like my life's gonna go well and that's not the formula right and well and what is blessing right like the blessing is just the presence of god with yep. us because that's so much sweeter than any material thing mm. we have right we mix up that that definition of oh i'm blessed if i have this yes. or this or this or i have the range rover i have the thing yep. i'm not in prison when yeah. like he's just as blessed in prison as he is when he's outside of yes. prison yep yep and he wasn't pursuing the palace life like he wasn't pursuing the house, the car, the job, and thinking that that is where the good life lies. Because because if he would have been pursuing that, it would not have been advantageous for him to stay faithful if that's what he was pursuing. But I think really understanding like and believing in, in God's bigger purpose and plan gave him a why behind his what even for his faithfulness to God. Because yeah. he understood this isn't about me. 
I, I don't want to offend a holy God. He, he says that very clearly to Potiphar's wife of this would be evil and wickedness against God. So there is, yeah, this would be horizontally a sin against Potiphar, but ultimately this would be vertically. A, it's about my relationship with God that I don't want to um, offend. And that gives him fuel for his obedience um, that I think fuels him even as he goes back into the pit because he's still choosing and living in the good life there even when his circumstances don't align with it there still really is a joy that we talk a lot about of this joy in jesus despite what's going on in his outside circumstances um he's living for a bigger plan and purposes that ultimately i think provide fuel and motivation when you're in those gaps to trust ultimately that there's something bigger going on that you can't see what's going on yeah and i think for us today reading this text what it looks like personally for these applications is um, an encouragement from both David and I to say like, it, it's okay for it to not to be easy. Yeah. Like we're reading through practicing the presence of God right now as a, as a staff. And if you haven't read it, it's great. It's from brother Lawrence, but I often read that text and just compare myself to mm. the level of spiritual maturity that someone else has. And I'm like, I'm not like Joseph here. Yeah. I am not as faithful yeah. as Joseph. I'm not as good as whoever, as David or as brother Lawrence, um, And what we see time and time again, I think, as we read this text, is that it's not actually a comparison game. It's really about God's story and what he's doing in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so many different, so many different um, variables that lead to our OST and lead to our um, security within the gap. Yeah. That I think when, like, let's, let's say someone's listening to this and they're in the gap right now. It's like, okay, what do we practically give you to comfort you in this gap it's so hard to just give you that one word answer to give you that Mm. thing but i think that's part of why genesis 39 is in here as well um and so personally for me when i'm reading this text it looks a lot like look around look at my perspective look at what god's doing look for the ways that he's moving even last night with youth group it's looking Mm. and saying like there's joy overflowing right now not in all the things that are just not working there were so many things last night that were just (laughs) breaking down worship songs that did not go as planned yeah um kids are kids you know middle schoolers Mm. are middle schoolers and man Mm. they're they're a lot but the overflowing joy of coming into that and saying i'm not there's like a healthy detachment that happens there where you're like Dude, the eternal perspective yeah. changes your um, present reality, mm-hmm. and, it, mm-hmm. and it and it affects your joy. Like the joy yeah. there still overflows in the face of adversity and, and trials, which is what we're seeing in Joseph as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think exactly what you just hit of like perspective changes everything about how we live with purpose through through those trials. How you live with purpose when you're in prison is like Joseph has walked this journey, but that's kind of even the, the, the whole purpose of Genesis as a whole, you have to really read all of Genesis and, and put the bigger perspective together to understand, okay, what's going on when, when he's in prison. And the same is like true for our lives. Like I just sometimes imagine like God looking at us and we're kind of these like ants running around, you know, and there's like, there's all these little like ant hills and they get smashed and then they get built back up again. And like, we're frenzied down there and we're running around and we're like worried and anxious and stressed, but it's like, he's got this like totally different perspective. And if we are able to tap into that a little bit, we're able to catch a little bit of just like the glimpse of like, what is God's bigger perspective? that he sees all the little ants on the ground and it's like he has a whole bunch of ants running around let alone like 
ants for thousands of years of human history, and we're just a we're just we're just a footnote with a proclivity to go towards the thing that kills us. Oh, it's like not even just ants. We're not just wandering. We're like choosing sin yes. too. It's like we're this, ants, it's like worse. running towards like the fireworks yeah. that are about to like blow up. <laughs> it's like Jake's lighting fireworks over there, and we're just like ants running over to him. But it's like Whoa. deep cut. But when you <laughs> when you have just a little bit of like a God's perspective yeah. in your life. It's it's not that it takes away meaning and doesn't value take you from out of prison. your life. It doesn't get you out of prison. Yeah. You're still in ant prison. But like it gives you suddenly a different understanding of maybe what's going on. Mm. It gives you suddenly, I think, like a purpose and a motivation. It gives you an encouragement. And your life matters not because like you're so great and built the biggest anthill, but your life matters because like the one who made it all like sees you and knows you and is with you even in the midst of that. But it suddenly changes, I think, the way we understand like our temporary trials and struggles and gaps and can really provide a strength and endurance in there. And you start living for that bigger story, right. which suddenly fuels your life with a ton of purpose. But it's it's not to try and like beat out the other ants to like get a bigger 401k or the biggest yeah. ant hill yeah. or the coolest like ant car. It's like, this is about it's a deep a, analogy. Yeah, right it's, we're, we're going all the way. This is about <laughs> such a bigger story of God yeah. and his work and how we become a part of what he's doing. Yeah. And that really is the answer as we walk away from the text lab. Like for you guys, as you're listening, you're known and you're loved. God is present with you in every gap and every success. And he's working all things for the good of those who love him for his glory. Right. And so we just cling to that truth and we set our perspective with the heavenly lens, with an eternal lens. God is going to use every little thing. He does not waste anything. And so as we're wrapping up, we want to give a big thank you to Zach and Hannah for all that they do behind the scenes. And whether you're working out at the gym, you're cleaning the house, mowing the lawn, uh, stomping on ants, driving in the car, <laughs> whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts. Blowing up some fireworks. <laughs> yeah, they're not illegal, I promise. We hope you feel equipped. They are encouraged and ready to dive deeper into the text this week. We love you all. We'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.